All right, well, we are continuing our journey through Luke, and we will be finishing up Luke 23 and beginning Luke 24. So if you would, would turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 50. The book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 50. And I have titled this message, Sorrow Turned to Joy. There is a psalm that says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. And I really feel like that applies to this message today. Because when we start this message, we are starting from a place of great sorrow. The disciples um, have watched Jesus die. Well, we always know that John was there. I don't know how many of the disciples were actually at the cross, because the Bible says that they all forsook him and fled. So it's, it's very possible that John was the only disciple who was actually physically present, but they knew that he died. They knew that he had been crucified. They knew he was dead. They knew he was buried in the tomb. They knew where the tomb was because they would run to it later, Peter and John would. So they knew the fact was that he was dead. But their sorrow um, will turn to joy as we go through um, this message. And so uh, the first point is where Joseph of Arimathea asks for the body. And so we're going to look at that passage in 50 to 56 of Luke 23, and it says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. Um, he was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself also waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in the sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never a man laid. And the day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how the body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So we see here a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And, and <clears throat> I always wonder why we don't hear about him before this, but it makes it clear that he did not consent to the actions of the religious leaders who wanted to crucify Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if he could have been more, um, more active, more vocal or not, but I do know that um, this is... Um, part of prophecy because we, we read that Jesus was put into a um, rich man's tomb 
and that he um, and so this is this is a fulfillment of prophecy and he's also put in a tomb where no man was ever laid and of course um, he's not going to stay there I often wonder if anybody else was ever buried there and what that must have been like to be able to say you know this was the tomb where Jesus um, conquered death and um, we, we see that um, Joseph of Arimathea says he waited for the kingdom of God. And so, and then he was a good man and a just. I think it's kind of interesting that <clears throat> Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, was called a just man. At the beginning of his life, Jesus is blessed by having the presence of a just Joseph. And at the end of his life, he's blessed by having a just Joseph be a part of that process as well. So I just, I noticed that observation, and I think it's, it's pretty uh, significant, and I enjoy that. That those little details matter, and that um, our brother Luke, um, he uh, shared many of those with us. And then we see that he goes to Pilate and he begs for the body of Jesus. And in another gospel, we, we hear that Pilate says, are they dead? Because he didn't expect um, Jesus to already be dead. But they went and checked and they broke the legs of the thief so that they would die quickly. Because they wouldn't be able to push up and get more oxygen if they were had broken legs, but they didn't break Jesus' leg because he was already dead. And that was a fulfillment of prophecy too because the Bible says not one of his bones shall be broken. And then we see that he took it down and he laid it in his sepulcher that was hewn in stone where no man was laid. And significantly we see the woman also came with him from Galilee, following after him, and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And that is significant because a lot of people say one of their uh, arguments against the resurrection is maybe they just went to the wrong tomb. They got the wrong directions, and they, they went to the wrong tomb. Well, that's not true because they saw the place where Jesus was laid. But even if they hadn't, women tend to ask for directions way more than men. So this would not be a woman's problem. And, but anyway, they knew where Jesus was. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And then they rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Jesus, or God said in the Old Testament... Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, and on the seventh you shall rest from your labor. And so, that's what they did. They rested from their labor according to the commandment that God had given. And I wonder if by way of cross-reference, we could just quickly read Mark 15, 42-47. 
Mark fifteen forty two to forty seven. If someone gets that, if they could read that. When evening had come, since it was the first, or since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the torch to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rocks. He rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw where he was laid. So again, we see um, that Joseph of Arimathea was waiting for the kingdom of God. And the thing I like about the Mark passage is that it says that he summoned his courage. Can you imagine how intimidating that would be to go to Pilate, who was known as a ruthless um, governor, by the way. He wasn't known as this pleasant guy. And you go to Pilate and you say, can I have the body of Jesus? Keep in mind, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being afraid and doing the right thing anyway. And so regardless of whether he should have been more vocal before Jesus died, we know he didn't consent, and we know that he took courage in taking charge over Jesus' body. He said, this man is a great man, the Son of God. I want to make sure that he's taken care of in his death. And so I, I really like that. And of course, that passage also alludes to what I was talking about earlier, that Pilate um, wanted to make sure that Jesus was already dead, and when it was confirmed, he gave the body over to Joseph of Arimathea. And um, so that is the sorrow. In the place where we are right now, Jesus is in the tomb. The devil, no doubt, since he is not all-knowing, believes he has won. Um, you know, I, I read a quote one time that said, um, when bad things happen, sometimes we panic. And all God did was count to three. Because he knew the end from the beginning. The Bible says that Jesus went to the cross for us knowing the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That joy was us. That joy was the fact that when he was on the cross, there's an old song that says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. That just boggles my mind, but it's true. Because he said before Abraham was, I am which means that he was, in, in a sense, present in the past, the present, and the future. Because he transcends time. And so he was thinking of each of us when he was hanging on that cross. What an amazing thought. And then, for our second point, the women find the tomb empty. Remember, they saw the tomb 
They saw Jesus laid there, they prepared spices, and now we're going to see that they find that the tomb is no longer full. It says in, in chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, therefore, thereabout, behold, two men, stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And this this eighth verse really speaks to me because it says very simply, and they remembered his words. As soon as the angels spoke to them, they remembered what he had said. All those times, at least three times, are recorded in Scripture that Jesus laid out this plan before the disciples. And yet, they didn't believe it. As a matter of fact, we'll read on that they still don't believe the testimony of the women. But, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But isn't it interesting that God chose to reveal the resurrection first to a woman. A lot of times in the, in the cultures in which this Bible was written, women were considered second-class citizens. They didn't have rights the way men did. But I can tell you something with absolute certainty. Women were never and are never second-class citizens with our God. It's also significant to me that the Bible says that the woman was deceived in the garden. And so I think it's significant that Jesus appears, that, that the resurrection is made known to these women, and it said that deception, that sin in the garden that began all of sin for all humanity has been taken care of. Worry not. Because all the torment of sin is over. What an amazing thought. And it says here different things. They found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. I don't know how big the stone was, but I've heard different estimates that it could take six or eight men to roll that stone away. But one angel did it. And in another passage it says he rolled it away and then he sat upon it. Why did he roll it away? Did he roll it away so Jesus could get out? No, because Jesus could go through walls with his glorified body. He rolled it away so that the disciples and us 
can look in and see that it's empty. And on this truth rests the whole of Christianity. Because if Jesus had stayed dead, he'd be like any number of other religious leaders. But he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. And we can be thankful for that. They entered into the sepulcher. They found not the body of the Lord Jesus because he was risen. And it says they were much perplexed and God sent a messenger to ease their minds and hearts. When we go through times where we are much perplexed, we know that we can say that God knows the end from the beginning and that he will make things clear in his time. Now that time may be at, in, within, you know, in the context of glory at the end of time, but we know it all will be made clear. And then I love this phrase, why seek ye the living <clears throat> among the dead? We serve a living God. We serve a God who lives and moves. Benjamin Franklin, although he would freely admit that he was not a Christian, and said often, or said to to, um, George Whitfield, the famous evangelist, much like Herod, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. He still said this. He said, God governs in the affairs of men. And that is true. God does govern in the affairs of men. If you look through the annals of our history as a nation, you will see God's hand there repeatedly. Despite the efforts of society in this day and age to try to scrub it from it. And so we we see these women they remembered the words of Jesus and uh, what a, what a pre- what precious words they were that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men be crucified in the third day that he would rise again. Could we look at John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7? John 20, verses 6 and 7. Then come and Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeing the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Um, so we see that Simon Peter um, went to the tomb, and he went into the tomb um, and uh, looked at the grave clothes and wondered in his heart, 
about what was going on. And he saw that the headcloth was there by itself, separately. Now, if this had been an act of grave robbers, I don't think that would have been the case. I think it would have just been helter-skelter. All of it would have been bunched together. But it was put aside as if it was a deliberate action. I believe showing testament to the resurrection. Paul F.M. Ziles says, The atonement or forgiveness of sin once and for all achieved on the cross weighs in and heavily. But the atonement is honified, ratified, sealed, and made enduringly good by virtue of Christ rising from death. Our justification hinges on a risen life, present in us now, because Christ is present with us now. The Bible says that if we die with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we are buried by baptism into death, we will be raised to newness of life. We, we sing in Christ alone this great song by the Gettys. And it says, In Christ alone my hope is found. Without Christ there is no hope. Paul said that if, if Christ be not raised, we are of all men most miserable. As great as the beginning of the gospel is that Christ died for all of us and he was buried for us. How miserable would we be if Paul had stopped the passage there? But he doesn't. He says he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And... Um, there's a lot of Marys in Jesus' life. I think that's interesting. Mary Magdalene, of course, we know that he had cast demons out of her and married the mother James. And I believe we read in one passage that Joanna was there. So again, God is giving um, honor to these women who played a role in Jesus' life and ministry. And I just, I think that's such a blessing to think about. In our third section here, we have um, the women spread the good news. When they find out that Jesus is alive, they don't waste any time. I think this convicts me too. Because Jesus is alive. So this is a message that we need to be sharing with as many people as we can. That's why I appreciate so many opportunities um, to speak and share his word. But even sometimes in the study halls that I work in for school, I get a chance to talk 
to them about Jesus. And because it's a Christian school, I don't have to worry about being censored or getting in trouble for it. And it's such a blessing that that is the case. But if we look at um, verses 9 to 12 here, we find these words. And they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and unto all the rest. Now I find that interesting. I don't know who all the rest are. But we know in Acts chapter 1 that there may have been as many as 120 people in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. So there was and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women that were with them. So I'm not sure how many women were there either, but this is an exciting list. Which told them these things, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulchre. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Remember, this is the Peter who, who denied knowing Jesus. He didn't just deny being with Jesus, he denied knowing him. And so he um, has no doubt been weeping a lot over the last three days. We know that after he denied Jesus three times and the God crew, he went out and wept bitterly. I'm sure that most of the events of the past three years have had gone through his head probably the longest and shortest three days of his life at the same time. And he's just trying to figure out what's going on. Now we know from another passage that later on, Jesus will meet with Peter alone. And he actually um, will say, um, go tell the disciples and Peter, Jesus rose from the dead because... He wanted Peter to know that he was forgiven. See, there were two men who made foolish decisions regarding Jesus at this time. One was Judas, and one was Peter. Judas made the foolish decision to betray Jesus, and he knew he was wrong, and he went to the Pharisees, and he told them that he was wrong, and they said, that's not our problem. And he threw down the money, and went out and hanged himself. He didn't choose repentance. But Peter did. His mistake, his sin, led him to tears of repentance. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 51, a broken and a contrite spirit, Lord, thou wilt not despise. So what a blessing that Peter had that experience. And of course Peter would continue to learn because there would be a time which we will read about um, later on in the book of Acts. Or actually I think it's re-referenced in the book of Galatians. But 
was during the time of the book of Acts, where Paul came, and because Paul came, Peter separated himself from the Gentile believers. And Paul says, I withstood him to his face, because he was wrong. Because the Gentile believers have been accepted, as we've talked about today, in the beloved. There's no difference between Jew and Greek, between barbarian and Scythian, between bond and free. For Christ is all and in all. Praise the Lord for that. You know, in this, in this world that we have of so much racial discord, if we would just remember those verses we would be a lot better off. In Christ, there is no races. There's only the blood-bought saints of God from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. Again, does it get any better than that? All right. If we could look at Mark chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. Mark 16, 7 and 8. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, for he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. Isn't that great? That not only was he alive, but they were guaranteed they would see him. The Bible tells us that one day we will see him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, The trump of God shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, and He will bring those who sleep with Him, and then He will, after He wakes them, then He will catch us up, who are alive and remain. And so shall so shall we ever be with the Lord. Not a temporary thing, not a visit. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells me that one day my corruptible body will put on incorruption and my mortal body will put on immortality. We're talking about physical bodies here. We'll read more about that. Um, next time because Jesus proves after his resurrection that he's in a physical body but that's a guarantee to us because he's the firstborn from the dead he, his resurrection is what our resurrection will be modeled after he was, he was still Jesus in the flesh after he rose from the dead it wasn't something where they would not know him. He chose to blind people at certain times. But the essence of who he was as a person was the same after his resurrection. 
And I think that's important. Because why are these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 a comfort? Because we're going to see those who've gone before us. I'm going to see my grandpa who I never met, but who I know gave my family a legacy of loving Jesus. I'm going to see my grandma. I'm going to see my brother. I'm going to see the three or four siblings that I've never met. I'm going to see so many people that have gone on before me and I'm going to know them. Sinclair Ferguson said, We are adopted into God's family through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, in which he paid all our obligations to sin, the law, and the devil, in whose family we once lived. Our old status lies in his tomb. Our new status is ours through his resurrection. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, And you who were once afar off, he has brought near by the blood of his cross. That's why we celebrate communion every Sunday. Remember when I first started going to the assemblies, I wondered why we did it every Sunday, because I grew up in the Baptist church and we did it once a month, and I was like, you know, I remember the first time I went to Grace and truth, and uh, they had communion on the table, and I was like, well, we came to communion Sunday. And then the next week I got there, and the elements were there on the table, and I was like, what's going on here? I've never had communion two weeks in a row. But it's so rich to start out the week that way. So rich to be reminded. Why are we reminded so often? Why do we focus on these things so often? Because the communion service is the essence of the Christian faith. And it speaks of the resurrection too. Because what did Jesus say? He said, this do in remembrance of me until I come. He wasn't talking about being dead forever. He said, I'm not going to stay dead. In Revelation, he says, I am he that liveth. I am he that liveth. We're talking about a living God who continues to do his work in, for, and through us. The Bible says, For it is God who worketh in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. My question to you, are you letting God work in you? Has he even begun to work in you? Because, you know, if he began to work in you, he's going to complete it. Some people say that you can lose your salvation. My friends, if I could lose my salvation, I would have lost it a long time ago because I lose everything. But I can't. Because I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Can I grieve the Holy Spirit? Yes, I can. And I do, sadly. But I cannot lose my salvation. The Bible says that I am firmly implanted in my Father's hand. And no one can take him away. 
can take me away from him. No one. So the question is, Are you resting in him today? Do you know what it is to have to be in the palm of his hand? I hope so. Because that is where true joy comes from. I just want to share this um, song with you and I I aspire to the words of this song. I don't fully live them out but um, mm. but uh, this song really speaks to me um, it's called I Know Who Holds My Hand and it's an old one, but I think, and I like some of the new songs, but I think sometimes we've lost appreciation for some of the old songs in our zeal to update our worship. So I think there's a place for both. But as you listen to this song, just listen to these words and maybe um, commit with me to doing a better job of living them out. Because I know I'm not perfect at this. But it's so needful. And as we reflect on the resurrection of Jesus Christ today and hopefully all year long, you know, in the book of Christmas Carol it says, Scrooge at the end says, I will... Um, Live like it's Christmas every day of the year. The spirits of the past, present, and the future will strive within me. Well, the power of the resurrection Christ should strive within us. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live for day to day. I don't borrow from the sunshine. For its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds but, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand every step is getting brighter <clears throat> I don't know. Every step is getting brighter as the golden stairs I climb. Every burden's getting lighter. Every cloud is silver lined. There the sun is always shining 
There no tear will dim the eye At the ending of the rainbow Where the mountains touch the sky Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand But I know who holds tomorrow And I know who holds my hand Let's pray Heavenly Father We thank you that you hold tomorrow we thank you that you knew everything that was happening on that day that Jesus died. And you knew how the end result would bring about your will. We pray that we would be forever changed by this story. And Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here who has not accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would do it today. It's not church attendance that saves us is not reading the Bible that saves us. It's not singing songs that saves us. It's only through trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ whereby we are saved. I ask you to bless each person here that you would make your face shine upon them this week, that people would be able to see that they've been with Jesus and that they would ask an answer of the hope that lies within them and that we would be ready to share that answer with meekness and fear. In Jesus' name, amen.